You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Uh-huh. I just feel like I've been around the block, ripping up fantasy stock, working around the clock. Look at the view from the top. Researching rookies a lot? No, I just be listening to pods. Yeah, one in particular. I'm just a messenger. Let me just pass on the rock. Browning, brunning, bruning, pronouncing ain't what he's doing. What he's doing is not losing, but infusing you with new things. And there's Dennis the Bennett. Yeah. The man is a menace, yeah. Building a dynasty, some of the finest things. Promise you, you won't regret it. Mm. Sly as a fox, cultured in pop. Give him his props. Here is a thought, here is a box. And you cannot compare them at all, so don't even try. Careful with the news, but when you use a take, I take up Tony Fire. I mean dire, because anyone else is a huge mistake. Whoa. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Yeah. Fantasy round table, come take a look at the crown, baby. Hey. Fantasy round table, fantasy, fantasy round table. Woo. Fantasy round table come take a look at the crown baby go hello and welcome to another episode of the fantasy football round table podcast this is the audio edition uh we did not go live uh, i'm joined right now by dennis matt will probably be along in a little bit he's still trying to recover from all the baker mayfield carolina panthers <laughs> training camp footage but uh dennis how are you doing today well i am certainly over the baker mayfield carolina panthers uh, uh footage you know i with news of tim patrick tearing his acl i guess uh football season is officially here and it's time to roll on i am uh working through my five currently active underdog drafts going on right now um Got involved in the puppy a couple times, the SFB satellites, enjoying my time on Underdog there. And, uh, you know, the Common app opened yesterday, so I get to spend the next two months hounding my 17-year-old senior-to-be to finish his college essay so that uh, he gets his uh, application for college done. How about you? I think it was karma for making the... Uh... <laughs> Baker Mayfield joke. I just inhaled a popcorn kernel. And then, mm. of course, I had not seen that it was official yet that Tim Patrick was uh, had torn his ACL. I've been not lighting, lighting a candle all afternoon. So that's that's kind of a bummer. You know, before we dive into the second half of the NFC South, as riveting as it's going to be, 
I guess the big news so far is what always happens uh, at training camp time, which is the injuries. You thought I was going to mention the Dolphins. We'll get to them in a minute. But now this uh, Patrick makes the third kind of marquee receiver or a guy who we thought might have a good role. Fantasy relevant. Who has suffered. Opportunity guy. So Patrick obviously out for the season. Um, No one happier about that than Jerry Judy, who might be redeemed from being a bum. Uh, But he's not the only one. Super Bowl champion Rams. Van Jefferson had knee surgery. He's going to miss at least a little bit of time at the beginning of the season. And with Michael Gallup not quite ready to go, Dallas was hoping to get a lot out of free agent signee James Washington, but he broke his foot, had surgery, is expected to miss six to ten weeks. Dennis, which of these injuries hits you the hardest, and what does it mean for these three offenses? So James Washington hits me the hardest. Because I had been drafting in best ball, I had been pairing up James Washington and DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, I I knew when Gallup comes back, Washington is going to drop off on his production. He's going to move from the wide receiver two to the wide receiver three. And then Hopkins will come back in and take his rightful place as the wide receiver one in Arizona. But, alas, you know, that's not going to be – uh, you know, Washington is what he is. He's a deep threat, um, catches the ball iffy. You know, he, he tends to fight the ball. I don't think he really progressed as I, I would have liked to have seen him. But I felt like he was going to get a shot to be that third guy in Dallas, second guy while Gallup was out. Jefferson, I was kind of off anyways because – Well, his role was very clearly defined. He was the third guy um, and maybe even a little bit lower, depending on how much they decided to throw to the running backs. Um, He was clearly behind Cup and Allen Robinson. Um, You know, he would have some games, provide some deep threat ability. Uh, I I guess with, with Washington, you know, my concern is that I heard mention that they thought it might be a Jones fracture. And if that's the case, then six to 10 weeks, honestly, I'm kind of out. I feel like who knows? It could be six to 10 weeks. It could be six to 10 months with the Jones fracture. Uh, We've seen that create issues for a lot of people and and a lot of people, you know, come back in a timely fashion. Um, But Tim Patrick was the one, I guess, I had the highest hope for, Uh, I guess, Deep down, I didn't really think he would supplant Jerry Judy as the wide receiver, two in Denver. Um, But he did show they did give him a contract extension. They really liked him. They weren't afraid to use him. Um, He was kind of like, I think he was a, a notch above Tyler Boyd when you talk about teams with three wide receiver sets. I just felt like Higgins and Chase were just, higher level wide receivers than Sutton and Judy. Um, So there was less of a gap between the top end of the Broncos receiver core and Tim Patrick versus the top end of the Bengals receiver core and Tyler Boyd. All three of them, you know, were kind of flex guys. Um, But I really liked, you know, Patrick felt like he was coming on and, and I feel bad for him. I feel bad for Washington and Jefferson as well. 
Yeah. Well, and we're recording this on Tuesday, so who knows how many other wide receivers we will have lost by the time you're hearing this on Friday. But the Patrick one, it'll come as no surprise, cuts me the deepest because it's my team. Also, I, you know, as somebody who's watched Tim Patrick, I've mentioned a few times when we've talked about Denver, I love him. I love his work ethic. I mean, he finished, uh, I think, in fantasy scoring as Denver's wide receiver one last year. Um, you know, he's just been a guy that's constantly stepped up. I thought Cortland Sutton would be the top producing receiver anyway. I do think this opens up a little more volume for Jerry Judy. I think it opens up a little more volume for Albert O, if we're being honest. Also, um, I'll be curious to see what they get out of KJ Hamler. Wide receiver was going to be one of the interesting deep positions for the Broncos. So I think it opens up an opportunity for a younger guy. Um, they have Travis Fulgham, which I know I'm waiting for you to laugh, but um, he'll probably make the roster. We've seen him contribute in other situations. I think the real bummer for me is Denver, they just can never get this offense together. It's either they have all the weapons and don't have a quarterback or when they finally get a quarterback, uh, I'm disappointed we're not going to get to see all these guys on the field together. It also has to make you a little bit nervous. One more injury in that department, and you could start looking real thin. Is Denver going to be a team that maybe looks to see what veterans get set free uh, as we get to the end of training camp? Um, it's just a bummer. Tim Patrick, I was so excited for him signing a long-term deal uh, last year and what he was going to potentially do. So I'll miss him. James Washington, I also feel pretty bad for. He signed kind of a one-year prove-it deal in Dallas after years of kind of getting lost in the shuffle in Pittsburgh. <clears throat> it's not a great situation when you have that one-year prove-it deal and then end up missing a big chunk of time. And like you said, when you start talking about these foot injuries, we've seen in the past guys really struggle to get back to good production and even to get back on the field period. I think the one that is probably still the safest of these three guys is Van Jefferson. Sounds like they knew there was a knee issue. Some have suggested that's why they aggressively pursued Allen Robinson in the offseason. I would like to think they aggressively would have pursued Allen Robinson regardless because I, I think he's probably a better receiver than Van Jefferson. But it sounds like they don't think Jefferson's going to miss significant time in the regular season, so he could still come back and be kind of a flex-worthy producer. The other biggest news of today was the, the NFL just <clears throat> turned the calendar to August and said, you know what, it's time to just start laying the smack down on people. We talked about uh, Deshaun Watson's suspension on Monday. They followed up on Tuesday, laying down the law to the Miami Dolphins, and this time it was really to the ownership group. The Dolphins' owner was suspended until October 17th. Their minority owner, I believe, is suspended and has to stay away from the team for all of 2022. But the big news that will concern the Dolphins is they lose their first-round pick in 2023, and they lose a third-round pick in 2024 because of tampering. On two separate occasions, they have tried to coax Tom Brady to come to the team while he was under contract, once with the Patriots, once with the Buccaneers. Hardly a surprise given all those rumors of Brady to Miami. But they also made a run at Sean Payton while he was still under contract with the Saints, even after the Saints denied them permission to reach out to him. So, <clears throat> Dennis, one of the things that people have wondered, let's say big season full of pressure for Tua Tagovailoa, but thought was if things didn't work out, perhaps the Dolphins would look to go for a replacement in the draft. When you're missing your 
first round pick, the idea of getting a substantial upgrade at running back and or quarterback sort of takes a back seat. What does this do for the Dolphins long term? It, it definitely has an impact because first round picks you expect to produce at a high level. Now, they still have a first round pick. Don't they have San Francisco's first? Um, yeah, so they might. I'll look. And, and heck, that might even be a higher pick than um, Miami's would be and give them a better shot at a quarterback. Obviously, two first round picks give you more ammunition to move up if you want to go up and get one of the elite quarterbacks. And I think they will continue to piece together the running game uh, in part because teams in the NFL don't prioritize it. They, I think they've got pretty good cap space and they'll be able to see how it plays out this year. You know, they drafted or signed as a free agent, Zaquandre White. Um, they brought in a bunch of different players with Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. They drafted Jared Dokes last year. Um, they have guys that they like. It'll just be dependent on will they pick up the offense, will they be able to execute that running scheme. And if they do, um, I don't think there will be a pressing need for them to go out and spend high draft capital or, or lots of um, free agent money on a running back. But we also, there'll be, I think there's some pretty good uh, backs coming out uh, next year's free agents as well. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, teams just don't prioritize a lot of high draft picks being spent on running backs. Yeah, it seems like people have wanted the Dolphins to take a running back the last couple of years and they had ample opportunities the last two years to snack snag a couple of guys where they were picking with a plethora of picks that doesn't really seem to be what they're interested in we'll have to see going forward i personally think it's even if he just has an okay season it'd be too early to give up on tua given all that they invested to go get him so i have always thought that seemed like a little bit Hasty, I guess it will depend on the new coaching staff and regime. Obviously, one of their other options, it makes me wonder. <clears throat> so there's been a lot of conventional wisdom that we even talked about this on Monday, that Tom Brady, it's probably his last season in Tampa Bay, but he may want to go to the Dolphins. I would think after all this came out and this kind of penalty, that if I was Tom Brady, I would not want to be end up being go there or be associated with that because you would kind of start to ask questions about whether he was trying to mentally or emotionally bail on his teams that he was on um, and that there was some fire to this. There's already been a little bit of rumbling. So I wonder if that kind of kills everything off there. Losing a first-round draft pick is pretty harsh. Um, be interesting to see you are correct. They do have San Francisco's pick, and I will, I'm kind of with you that San Francisco's pick may end up being higher than what theirs was going to be. I also, I can't remember. I didn't, I feel like the Patriots lost a first round pick because of Spygate. Do they just, so we're just going to have 31 picks in the first round this year? That That is correct. So that that's always kind of an interesting uh, situation too. 
Now, I will say, looking at uh, spot track, it does look like the, the Dolphins actually are projected to be about $24 million over the cap next year. Now, that doesn't include the cap increasing. And obviously, we've saw, seen with uh, teams like New Orleans going from $7 billion over the cap to under the cap in about a three-week period, that the, the cap is fairly easy to manipulate. Um, I feel like Tampa Bay and Los Angeles Rams have shown us the cap doesn't exist anyway. Right. So. But actually, that's one space if you thought you were projecting to be over where losing a first-round pick, which is the most costly of all your draft picks, would uh, not be terrible. But we move from the Dolphins' sadness to uh, sadness in the NFC South. We are looking at the Falcons and the Panthers today. And the first team up is the Atlanta Falcons. I know, I, like you, am surprised that they were the third-place finisher and not the last-place finisher. I think they actually had a better season than we tend to remember. They finished 7-10, and 10, uh, which isn't isn't too bad. A couple of games here or there would have made a difference. Their key departures, Matt Ryan traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Russell Gage departed for the rival Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hayden Hurst departed for the Bengals. And Mike Davis is kicking around with the Baltimore Ravens. Their key additions, they brought in Marcus Mariota. He served as the backup for the Raiders the last couple of years and brings a veteran presence at quarterback reuniting with Arthur Smith, the uh, offensive coordinator who demoted and benched him. Um, so interesting choice there. They also traded for Brian Edwards from the Raiders. He gets a chance in a depleted receiving core. They signed Damian Williams in the backfield, and they signed Anthony Ferkser at tight end. In the draft, they went out and spent a first-round pick on Drake London at wide receiver. They also went and snagged BYU running back Tyler Algier, and they grabbed Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter, who has uh, – who could be one of those rookie quarterbacks that ends up getting a chance at some point here. It's pretty clear that the Falcons um, are not the greatest of teams, Dennis. Mariota has been named the starter for now. What do you expect from this pass offense? And, you know, we, we talked about London's in, Brian Edwards is in, Kyle Pitts is still there. Calvin Ridley suspended for the entire year. What do you expect from these receivers? Well, I think that a lot of it's going to come down to can the offensive line hold up? Um, uh, Matt Ryan was a statue, but uh, Marcus Mariota brings a lot more mobility. He's not a terribly accurate passer. Uh, he does tend to be a little bit lower um, with his accuracy. But I think he brings some positive attributes to the game. He he gets Arthur Smith's offense what he wants to do. Drake London is a weapon. Kyle Pitts is a weapon. Um, we've seen uh, Zacchaeus perform out of the slot, and he's slated to uh, run out of that position. Edwards and Auden Tate will be, to me, that feels like an interesting battle to be to see who's going to be the blocking wide receiver that catches the scraps is kind of what that looks like it's going to be. I hope that Brian Edwards can bounce back because I really liked him, but he's going at wide receiver 94, pick 231. Drafters aren't really feeling it with him. Uh, I, I see. We didn't even list Zacchaeus. I'll have to look and see 
where he's going. He's probably not not even. Uh, I think that uh, Mariota is going to hold on to the position all year. I think if Ritter, uh, you know, we saw a lot of the quarterbacks other than Pickett, they all went like third round. It, the teams aren't really sold on them. And so I don't expect them to do a lot of, um, I, I don't expect them to be given a lot of early chances. So I feel like Mariota's going to go out there. He'll get the opportunity. If I had to bet on a rookie wide receiver in the NFL this year, I, I like London's chances and going as wide receiver 33. I feel like he does have some wide receiver two upside. Well, we mentioned Hayden Hurst and it brought Matt back. Absolutely. Best player in the NFL. He's sadly not there for you, but how do you feel about the rest of the Falcons? Um, I really like Drake London. He was my second rated wide receiver coming out in this class. I still had Garrett Wilson higher. Uh, Drake London finished, I believe it was like 0.3 points lower than him in, in my grading system. I think he's in for a great year this year. Uh, Mariota Ritter, whoever ends up being the quarterback, whether it's Mariota or Mariota for the entire season, whether he at some points gets benched, and we see Desmond Ritter come in. I just think Drake London's got it all. We've seen a little bit of the camp videos, and then I do, and I've said before on this show, and, and I'll continue to say, like, don't get too excited uh, about these camp videos, but it's definitely it's definitely fun to watch him separate a little bit because there were a lot of questions about that. You know, as, as Dennis mentioned, he's coming off the board at wide receiver 33. I think it's a little bit of a reach for him to possibly be better than that this year. I think you're going to have to bank on touchdowns, and that's not any – no nobody can predict touchdowns. And I feel like that's going to be the biggest thing for him because Kyle Pitts is also so good. But I, I do think that he can be a very good wide receiver moving forward. If I had to bet on him outproducing that ADP of 33, I would – I would take the over, but not by a massive amount, just because I think outside of realistically him and Pitts, there's nobody on that offense that I trust. Like if Gage was still there, maybe, you know, I still want to believe in Brian Edwards and wide receiver 94 off the board. I mean, that's practically last round pick. If you want to use it on, that's great. You really want to use it on him and hope that he shows you something and that he can be usable. I'm cool with that, but I don't expect him to outproduce london or Pitts here so for me it's really all in on those two guys and if i had to pick a weapon that's just going to absolutely smash in this offense on the receiving side of things this year it's going to be kyle pitts but i do think drake london can be very good for this offense this year and and definitely moving forward i think he's one of the few guys that if he gets a quarterback could actually see wide receiver one potential out of this rookie class yeah, I think for me it all comes down to quarterback. Marcus Mariota is a guy who I was interested to see get sort of a second chance. Um, <clears throat> I think Dennis nailed it. They, they've consistently seemed to have some offensive line issues. Maybe Mariota's uh, mobility helps with that. They haven't had the most dominant running game, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, so that makes me wonder – I. Kyle Pitts is another, you know, I mentioned Atlanta probably had a better 2021 than you remember. Kyle Pitts had a better 2021 than you uh, remember, too, with his finish. I think he takes another step forward. I'm excited to see Drake London. 
my only hope for Brian Edwards at this point is that he actually um, does something. Um, but <clears throat> I'm not I'm not sold that Atlanta's going to be a good team or that they're even incredibly trying to be a great team. I am curious if we get to see Desmond Ritter and what he looks like. Um, the rookie quarterbacks, none of them landed in incredible uh, position based on draft capital and where they're at. And Kenny Pickett, who most people thought was going to be a starter, seems to be running number three. I'll be curious to see if, if Ritter can get out there and, and what he can look like and whether there's much of a future there. Um, I mentioned the backfield. Cordero Patterson uh, is still there. He actually finished as running back nine last year, uh, thanks in part to his multifaceted approach. They also have Tyler Algier. Matt, I know you love Tyler Algier. How do you feel about this backfield? I, I think Algier is the guy that I want to roster, if I'm being honest. We, we heard reports earlier in the season that they didn't necessarily want to use Patterson as a running back. They kind of wanted to move him back out to right wide receiver. I still think he'll get some rushing work. And even if they do use him in a running back role, I think Algier is going to be the guy who gets the first and second down work. Now, he can catch the ball. He did do that at BYU in college, but I don't know that they're going to use him for that. I think they're going to use him as more that first, second down grinder we've seen in the Arthur Smith system because he's just bigger and, in my opinion, better at that than Patterson and Williams. So does that cap his upside some? Absolutely. You're likely, again, as I just mentioned, same thing with Drake London. You're going to be betting on touchdowns, and those are hard to predict. But when you get down in the red zone, I do think he's the guy that they will use to try and get the ball in there. I don't think they want to run Marcus Mariota just due to the injuries he suffered. Now, they've got the Twin Towers on the outside, so maybe they just end up throwing it to Drake London. Kyle Pitts every time. It's a pretty solid strategy as tall as both those guys are, and as dynamic as both of them are. But I think Tyler Algier can get you almost like a James Conner-esque 2021 season and just get you a ton of touchdowns down in the red zone because I think that's what they're going to use him for. He's bringing you no PPR upside. So there's a realistic shot he's going to end up being Damian Harris for you every single week and getting you anywhere from 9 to 11 points if he doesn't get you touchdowns. That's still, in my opinion, pretty solid for a player who is going as late as he is, I was just trying to find it. I can't find it now. I don't know where it went. Uh, there we go. RB forty eight. Like I would not. I would not be surprised if he outproduces that by twenty slots. Like I'm not saying he's going to be a top fifteen running back, but could he get into high end RB three range? Absolutely, because we've seen anywhere and everywhere Arthur Smith has been. He likes to use one running back in that role, and I think it's going to be Tyler Algier. We, we've seen the beat reporters say they expect it to be that. I do think it's going to be him. Again, upside is cap. Never going to be a, a running back one unless he gets you like 30 touchdowns in a season, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think he definitely has, you know, high-end RB2 upside, and, and you're betting on him probably being in the low RB3 range as like a flex player every single week because I do think he's going to have a safe floor just because he's going to get the volume and rushing touches in that offense. Yeah. I am a big fan of Algier. I have drafted. Uh, he's been my RB4 on a lot of best ball teams. I targeted him on my dynasty teams. Not so much because I think he's going to be a lead back for a long time, but I think he's going to have a couple years of real good productivity. You know, Patterson led the Falcons with 153 carries last year. 
Um, and then he had 69 targets. I wouldn't be surprised to see Patterson drop down around 100 carries and his targets go up to, you know, 85 um, if he can still be productive. The the thing with Al, that so Algier has better vision than Patterson. If Patterson was a, a better running back, he'd have been used like that a lot earlier in his career. He's 31 years old, maybe going on 32. Uh, let's see. Uh, he's going to be 31. So, you know, am I, are we really going to bet on a running back having three or four good years starting at age 30? So I think Patterson goes back into more of a utility role. He'll catch some passes. And Algier will get the bulk of the uh, running work. Um, I'm not I'm not afraid of Damian Williams. Yes, I understand he had a great Super Bowl. But, again, he also is 30 years old and has had one year in eight years, eight seasons, over 100 carries. So I think Algier will get to come in. Um, I was trying to take a look and see what the numbers were. So Tony Pollard was RB28 last year. Um, I think I would take his numbers. Now, he, I think he produced a little more in the passing game. But if you switch uh, – switch him a little more to the ground game and give him more carries and fewer targets. I think I, I don't see RB 28 to 30 is out of the range of likely outcomes that, uh, that Tyler Algier has. Yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, with Cordell Patterson, he went at, uh, RB9 last year, and current ADP has him at RB32. I get not really loving it for Dynasty, um, but I still think he's going to produce some decent numbers this year. It seems to fit some of the things they like to do. Um, I like the potential of Algier. I'm still offensive line being what it is um, definitely has to make you a little bit concerned about the the running game as well. I think that's why Patterson did so well because they used him in more gadget type ways. Mike Davis finished as RB 35 last year. I'm wondering if that's closer to what we're going to see from Tyler Algier because Mike Davis seemed to be, uh, Mike Davis didn't have the season everybody thought he might have with uh, his potential going in, but he actually got, a decent amount of carries and rushing effort with Atlanta. I think, too, Atlanta is probably poised to be behind a lot, which doesn't necessarily benefit uh, a ground-and-pound approach. Well, the thing with Davis was he was second on the team in carries, but he had 138. But surprisingly, he also had 58 targets and 44 receptions. So he did produce in the passing game as well. Um, it was, uh, you know, kind of, they only rushed the ball 393 times versus 519 for their opponents. Um, and that, I think, that some of that was probably Matt Ryan as the quarterback, checking out of plays, being the veteran. Those, I'm probably as worried about uh, Marcus Mariota's mobility leading to um, a reduction in running back carries. I don't think 
Mariota runs the ball, you know, 125, 150 times. Um, I mean, hell, Matt Ryan. Depends on how much he's running for his life. Right. Matt Ryan ran the ball 40 times last year. Yeah. I mean, I would bet uh, I would bet that Marcus Mariota does run a fair amount because he was kind of that running specialist when they brought him in in Las Vegas. Um, all right. Well, I mentioned I think they might be behind a lot. That probably goes into the the over-under. I think it's fair to say the Falcons are still in something of a rebuild mode. Their over-under is five for 2022. They won seven games last year with Matt Ryan, where it seemed like they were still trying to hold on, see if they could be a playoff contender. How do you guys feel about that, Dennis? You know, I want Marcus Mariota to be good to have a comeback and you know my 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 worry comes from the defense not being good i think the offense will be competent but the defense is going to give up a lot of points and i think that's going to lead to the the need to throw a little more i i think that I'm trying to trying to talk myself out of taking the over with my heart because I want I want Mariota to do well. I I'm gonna I'm gonna say over. I say they get six. I think five is like the perfect number. Um, but if I had to bet over under, I'd take the under. I, I don't think that Mariota's it. Um, I actually think we'll see Ritter at some point. Not that I think he's he's necessarily their future either. But with the draft picks that they have and the and the rumored quarterback class that we're going to be getting, I think they're going to want to give him a shot just to see what they have in him to make sure they do or don't want to go quarterback in 23. Now, I, I just don't think this offense or this defense is going to be good. I think they're still about a year away. They're building something. I like what they did. They played hard at times last year for Arthur Smith with Matt Ryan. Um, and even then, they only won, what was it, last year, seven games. I, I don't think Marcus Mariota is only a, a one-game net negative, if I'm being honest. I think he's probably a two- to three-game net negative for the Falcons. I, I don't think he's anywhere near what Matt Ryan was able to do for them, so I, I'll take the under. And that's if they roll him out all season. I would think if they're out of the playoff contention, I don't under. That's part of Even if he plays somewhat decently, why wouldn't you see what you have? Um because Mariota's probably not the guy they're building the franchise around. I think the only reason, only way he plays all year is if they're in the playoff race yeah. and they want to keep it going. And even then, I feel like it's an Alex Smith situation, if I'm being honest. Like, even if he takes him to the playoffs, I would not be surprised if, uh, if depending on the quarterbacks who are hyped up next year, if one falls to a decent spot that Atlanta still doesn't draft one and then just replaces them in a year anyways. I would just like to – I'm taking the under – Two, even though I think five is a good number. I would just like to see the Falcons get a third straight top 10 pick and take another receiver, um, ignoring all other issues on their team. Football fans, DraftKings changed the fantasy game forever back in 2012, and now, 10 years later, they are doing it again with Rainmakers Football, the first ever NFT fantasy football game. A new way to enjoy daily fantasy football, a new shot to win millions in prizes, and the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. 
playing Rainmakers football is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player cards of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions. Build your collection of football stars and enter free Rainmaker football contest all season long to compete for millions in jaw-dropping prizes. Each week, craft your lineup of athletes from your NFT collection, rack up points for touchdowns, receptions, and more like you would in any daily fantasy football. The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TPPN. That is TPPN. Click the Rainmakers tile and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all football season and build ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings. Eligibility and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Speaking of uh, plenty of issues on the team, the fourth place finisher from the NFC South was the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they finished five and twelve. I believe they started three and one though, so that was kind of a precipitous uh, fall. And then off what happened? Yeah, and then what happened? Well, it's hard to win when you don't have Christian McCaffrey and Sam Darnold look like he's never played professional football. They also had that fun Cam Newton. Um, renaissance their key departures cam newton's gone hassan reddick went to the eagles stefan gilmore is with the colts key additions they traded for baker mayfield uh, at quarterback he's in a current competition with sam darnold which will be a fun discussion in a minute uh, they went out and picked up deonta foreman at running back and they signed richard higgins at wide receiver key draft picks they went out and drafted matt corral to add another quarterback because why not um so quarterback battle is on uh, early reports are not encouraging for Baker Mayfield who wins the quarterback battle and what does it mean for DJ Moore Robbie don't use a Y Anderson and the rest Matt how are you feeling I mean, the videos I saw today, Baker looks pretty damn good. So I, I don't know that it's over just yet for him. I, you know, I know a lot of people are saying that he's behind Darnold. And I do think Darnold has a leg up because he knows the offense. He knows the system. He, he was there all last year as poorly as he played. We know that a lot of these NFL systems, while sometimes maybe the same language in there or, or different language, same plays, there's still a lot of stuff that you have to learn. Typically, it's like the Tom Brady types of player quarterbacks that go to different teams and are able to pick up an offense fairly quickly. And even those guys will tell you sometimes it takes half a season to get into it. I think preseason is going to be a big thing for both of these guys. If Darnold does start the season, I think we see Baker by week three or four, regardless. I just, I, I, they know that Darnold's not it. So I think it's going to be more of let's just give Baker a little bit more time to get to know the offense. It makes no sense. Uh, I mean, I guess they didn't really pay much, you know, trade-wise, they're paying a decent amount of salary there. But, I mean, it's not anything that's going to break the bank for the Panthers. But I do think that they want to give Baker a shot. Um, I still think he starts the season. Um, whether it's just the hope and entertainment in my end and, and being a, just a fan of Baker and knowing that they play the Browns in week one, like I just love that storyline of him being there and, and and playing them. So I hope that he does get the start week one. But even if he doesn't, again, I do think he plays at some point. Uh, and I do think that he is an upgrade over Darnold. So we saw DJ Moore for the most part was effective at times with Sam Darnold. I don't think he's going to take a massive step back. It's really Robbie Anderson for me. I think with Baker, and there were two that I saw today, 
of Baker bombing it deep and actually hitting Robbie Anderson in stride both times. So as funny as that is, considering he called out Baker, not wanting Baker on his team earlier this offseason, I do think if Baker is a starter, Robbie Anderson has a chance to reproduce what he did back in, I think it was 2020 or 2019, where he finishes like wide receiver. He finishes a top 20 wide receiver in fantasy. I want to say it was like right around wide receiver 19. Like He had a really good season for the Panthers. And that was the year that I believe there was three of them in the top 26. It was him, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. And I think Anderson was the highest of the three. It was DJ Moore who was the lowest. Yeah. So I think Baker Uh, can do that. I think Moore was the middle. No, I know Moore was the last because I was, I thought he would have been the highest. He was Samuel was got up there because of the rushing. But that was also, I think, more because of also the, as Matt mentioned, the rushing, it was also came right after the CMC injury as well as when he really started getting going because they were using him more in the rushing. But I do think that Baker can do that for that offense. I think it's an upgrade, too, for Christian McCaffrey. He's a guy who's not going to be afraid to dump off to them. But like I said, you may have to wait three or four games before you get that. I hope that he gets a shot week one. And I'll also be honest, if they start out like 0-3, 0-4, they go to Baker, and they don't start winning any games, I think we might see Matt Corral as well. And them just saying, like, let's just see what he's got because this whole regime is done, I think, for David Tepper if they don't do anything this year. So we could see a lot of turnover here at the quarterback position this season for the Panthers. But I'm, I'm in on both Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore when Baker is starting for the Panthers. Are they well, doing the same offensive system? Because didn't they replace Ben McAdoo's the offensive coordinator? He didn't. I, but him. I think that all that offense is like a Matt Rule thing. I mean, it doesn't. For me, it's fine. Like if they do go to the Ben McAdoo offense, we saw how effective that could that was with Eli Manning. Like we give him crap for being a really bad head coach, but as an offensive coordinator, it was not bad. Odell had some of his best seasons when Ben McAdoo was the offensive coordinator. Now none of these yeah. guys are Odell, but. Well, when McAdoo was the OC and head coach in New York, the wide receiver won for the Giants averaged a little over 10 targets a game. And so I I think it would bode well for uh, DJ Moore uh, with Ben McAdoo. I'm not totally out. I think Baker ends up uh, starting the season. They know what they have with Sam Darnold. They know that Darnold can be capable if he's got CMC there. They know that if CMC goes down, Darnold is going to fall apart. He is not the guy to elevate the team. Baker, on the other hand, had some moments of elevating the team in Cleveland, um, but he kind of had a shit show coaching situation. And then last year was Stefanski for whatever reason, um, you know, the play through the shoulder injury. I don't know. At what, if I'm a first-round quarterback and I'm in my third or fourth year, I feel like I, I have probably enough there, – there's enough cachet in my game still that if I've got an injury like that, that I can say I'm hurting the team more than helping by playing as much as I want to tough it out. And so I don't think Baker did himself any favors. He's going to come in early. He's going to have a good set of weapons. And – the proof will be in the pudding if McCaffrey can't stay healthy. We're going to talk about the the running backs here in a moment. Um, but I, I I like Baker as the starter there. Darnold is the backup. And I think if, if they're playing 500 ball throughout the season, then 
I don't think that we see Corral on the field unless it's a mob up. I'm not sure it matters that much. I I just don't love the Panthers organization. I mentioned this before. I am I was mildly surprised about Baker's tough start in camp, but it's been a tough offseason for him. So hopefully he'll get untracked. And Sam Darnold may actually be benefiting from having zero pressure on him at this point in time because nobody expects him to do anything. And um, it seems to be going out there. His problem has never really been practice because last year during the offseason, they were talking about how great he was practicing and it was the in-game situation. I suspect – at least two, possibly three quarterbacks will play at some point this year. It also just seems like that's been the hallmark of Matt Rule's time in Carolina. He's had a quick trigger finger on quarterbacks, believing that that was going to solve a lot of his problems. I don't think it'll impact DJ Moore one way or the other because he seems to be pretty consistent. The biggest thing that will help Carolina is if Christian McCaffrey can play and play at a high level. Um, but you know, that will help the passing game too. I'm not totally sold on Robbie Anderson. Um, it's been interesting to me that we haven't heard any comments about Terrace Marshall, who that seemed like such a, you know, ambitious pick last year. I would think that if Baker plays, that would probably benefit Richard Higgins a little bit, but I don't think there's any guys outside of DJ Moore that I'm going to feel great about starting on a week-to-week basis. Maybe Robbie Anderson will surprise me. I liked him two years ago. I thought that signing made sense. Wasn't great last year, and if it felt like, too, even two years ago, he started hot and kind of faded down. They gave that big extension to Ian Thomas, but it's Tommy Tremble was a better finisher at tight end last year, probably will be again this year, and I'm not sure I feel great about starting either of them. I still just think Carolina's a little bit of a mess. I mentioned Christian McCaffrey. They still have Chuba Hubbard. They went out and got Deonta Foreman. What do you guys expect from Christian McCaffrey? And Dennis, if he misses time, is Foreman the guy you want? Foreman is the guy I want. I do think that it'll be there'll be a 65-35 touch split with, with Hubbard. I think Hubbard Hubbard has something Foreman doesn't. Hubbard has speed. Foreman is fast enough. He's a big back, 230-ish pounds, um, and can pound it in there. He's got pretty good vision. He's one of the guys coming back from uh, an Achilles injury a few years ago. He was out of the league. He's clawed his way back. He's a real feel-good story. Um, Played pretty well, filling in for Derrick Henry last year. But I'm coming around to the point of getting back in on CMC. I I just don't think you play scared and you don't – you don't just say, well, somebody has been injured. He's going to be the guy. He's the, he's the RB1 he's healthy. He's better than Jonathan Taylor. He's more versatile. He's more productive. Um, I think this team has a whole different look when CMC is healthy. And while Taylor is a better pure runner, CMC is a really, really good runner. CMC is, he's a hundred reception running back. Uh, it's its like if you took Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler and put them together, you'd end up with CMC. 
Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Foreman as well. Uh, I think that he I think he has a role regardless if CMC stays healthy or not all season. I, I do think that they want to get away from giving him, you know, 200 plus carries on top of like 50, 60 receptions. I, I just think that he's shown over the past couple seasons that he's not been able to stay healthy, whether that's just because of the workload, him having to put the entire Panthers team on his back. I don't know. But I do think that they brought in Dante Foreman for that reason. I think it's a good thing for him. If he does go down with an injury, I think that Foreman and Hubbard will split. I expect Foreman will get more of the work, but they will bring Hubbard in as like that change of pace back, probably get a few receptions here and there because he does have top-end speed that Foreman does not. But I think with Foreman coming off the board um, where he's going at RB 61, like I'm betting on that every draft, whether I have CMC or not, because we just saw how effective he was last year when Derrick Henry went down. He was a guy that I picked up in one of my redraft leagues that helped take me to a championship with what he was able to do in the final weeks of the season. And I think he will have a role this year. So he's a guy that I'm a hundred percent betting on at RB 61, regardless of if I have Christian McCaffrey or not, because uh, I think he has a role. Yeah, I think Foreman will be involved um, too. Chuba Hubbard did better than I think we remember last year in terms of his finishes and stuff. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still gets a little bit of work. The big question for me is McCaffrey. I'm with you. I've steadily kept bumping him up, I think, throughout the offseason. People have pointed out a lot of times that the only thing that really is holding us back is the fear of injury and hopefully they can get over that a little bit hopefully foreman takes some of the load off in terms of being a ball carrier so that mccaffrey can be out there and be dynamic and when he's on the field he's an incredible difference maker not just for the panthers but for fantasy teams so i am hopeful that he goes back to being an rb1 if not a top top five or top three back i think right now i've slid him all the way up to rb3 i'm starting to believe again it's a big year for Matt Rule. Seems to be a lot of pressure. Few coaches are on a hotter seat than him. The over-under for them is 6.5. So I'll start with you, Matt. How do you feel about the over-under win total? And what win total do you think it would take for Matt Rule to be back next year? I think Matt Rule's gone unless he makes the playoffs. I just I, I feel like they were trying to do everything they could this year to get rid of him. It didn't work out unless the the Panthers make the playoffs. I don't, I don't care if they win ten games and miss out because for whatever reason the NFC just has a bunch of teams that are up there. I think if he doesn't make the playoffs, they're getting rid of him. I will. I'm going to give two because I think if Baker starts the whole year, I'm taking the over. I just I know that there's start, there's issues with this offensive line, but I still think Baker is a very good quarterback. He's got really good weapons. We've seen Ben McAdoo can make this offense work. As, again, as an offensive coordinator, he, he's actually done a pretty good job. I would take the over. If it's a mixture of Sam Darnold and then Baker Mayfield, I will take the under. I think they get to like four to five wins. But if Baker plays, well, I think you're looking at eight or nine, if I'm being honest. So the, they did address the offensive line a little bit. They drafted Iki Ekwanu, um, and they're installing him at left tackle. You know, Austin Corbett. Um, was signed as a guard away from the Rams. Um, Taylor Moten is a second-round pick from 2017 at right tackle. So they are trying to do um, what they need to do to keep the quarterback upright. I, I think, it to me, 
I, I agree with you. I think that Rule is gone. He might be gone if he's a one and done in the playoffs. I just don't think he's, you know, he's not Urban Meyer, but he's showing some Urban Meyer-ish NFL coaching traits. And, you know, it feels like he, he might be in over his head. Uh, I would love to to think they're going to win more than – six and a half games, but I mean, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm just going to roll the dice and take the under because I think that, well, I don't want to accuse players of quitting. I, I feel like the team will see the writing on the wall. And, and I think that, you know, they're going to start, they're going to be trying to play for their, their next contract, not necessarily uh, Matt rules next contract. Yeah, it's tough for me because I think 6.5 is a really good number, um, unfortunately. But I'm going to take the slight over. I think they can get to seven. But I'm with you guys. I don't – playoffs are a good marker, but I think what David Tepper wants, you know, especially having come out of that uh, Pittsburgh Steelers program um, and having listened to some of the things – that he's talked about, about football and franchises, he wants them to look like they're a potential contending franchise. And that's what you just haven't really seen any inkling of that kind of quality. Um, You know, I think they're starting to become a little bit of a joke because of how quickly they seem to just cycle through quarterbacks and try to blame stuff on that. Not that some of these moves haven't worked out, but, you know, they bet a lot on Sam Darnold and that fell through and now they've gone – it's no secret that they were trying to get a lot of other options before they managed to kind of land on Baker Mayfield. And I just, I don't think there's a good energy with the franchise. And if I'm David Tepper looking around, unless I see them like 10 or 11 wins all playing hard together, maybe making the playoffs, maybe showing like they could be a contender. I think I'm making some kind of a change. Uh, Before we head out, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on uh, one of the hottest topics going right now. It is Tuesday afternoon when we're recording this, but it does appear uh, that the NFL is going to appeal um, Judge Sue Robinson's ruling on the Deshaun Watson suspension. Likely means that either Roger Goodell or another appointed arbiter is going to impose a stiffer sentence. and it would also stand to reason, based on all the comments we've heard this offseason, that Deshaun Watson and the NFLPA would likely try to challenge that. We could be headed for court. So, Dennis, how do you feel about this potential change? Is this the NFL bowing to public pressure? Is it the right move? Well, I don't know that they're bowing to public pressure. Sue Robinson, in deciding that six games was the number, basically told the NFL – Six games is what I can justify based on the precedent you as a league have set in suspending, in in treating this type of uh, rules offense. You you need to do better. So she really kind of put the ball in their court and said, it's up to you now to reset the precedent. And And I think really that's kind of what they're doing. I mean, I don't think she minced any words when she said that, you know, what what they presented to her was was sexual assault, but based on what they've done historically, she felt like that was the number she had to land on. I think Odell goes in or Goodell goes in and now, and I 
I don't know if it's him. I know Troy Vincent used to be over discipline, um, but so it might be him or somebody else in that role, or it might be Goodell directly. I, I felt like it should have been longer. I think a lot of people feel like it should should have been anywhere from a season to forever. We'll see how it plays out. Um, I do know that if I was the NFLPA and Deshaun Watson, knowing that he was getting six games, of course I'm going to come out and say, yeah, I'm not going to dispute it. But I think if it goes up one game, I think that uh, Watson fights it. So I think that's what we're in for. Yeah, as, as of now, as we're recording this, there's no – confirmed whether they will or will not do it kind of thing. It seems like it's, it's leaning toward the NFL will, yeah. will, will PFN 365 said yeah. they were expected to expected to. Yeah. But it's not so like by the time they listen to this, they still may not have, I believe that they've got two days. So you should hear by the time that this podcast releases, whether they are or aren't. So we are, we don't know for sure whether they are not going to do this at the time of recording. If they do, the the new ruling with the new CBA is that this goes back to Goodell and that he gets to decide what he wants to do. And I would not be surprised if this does get more games on and whether it means, you know, Deshaun Watson sues the league or does appeals it himself, whatever. I would not be surprised if they go down that route, but I feel like it's, it's setting up. I don't want to say that they're trying to put Sue Robinson in as the fall guy, but I kind of feel like that's the way it's going and, and have Sue Robinson come in say, Hey, you do this. And then they're going to come in with a heavy hand to look like the good guys here. It's not surprising to me. I mean, we've honestly heard all along for what the past couple months that the NFL wanted a year long suspension. And even recently we've heard that the reason Deshaun Watson, his team, the NFL PA said they weren't going to fight is because the rumors were, we're hearing it's going to be between four and eight games. Well, it ended up with six games. I, I don't know that he gets suspended for the full season, even if they do appeal it and Goodell comes in and puts that because then I do believe they can appeal one more time or he can sue the NFL. But even if he sues the NFL, I don't know if that means he can play or not. I, I, I think he still has to sit out. I'm almost positive. Didn't Brady have to sit out when he sued the NFL for deflate gate? So if that's the case, yeah. go ahead, Matt. Um, yes. Unless, um, the court grants some kind of stay, because I think we've seen that before where people who are in an appeals process get a temporary stay. So like, I don't want to go too deep into this cause we just don't know what's going to happen yet. But uh, if that happens, I mean, you're talking about there's a really shot, then he plays week one, if they put it in a stay at that point, because then there is no suspension. So it, there's still a lot that could happen here. Again, th- you're likely going to see or hear about this by the time this podcast drops. So we're just kind of giving our opinions of what we think as of now with the news as it is since we will not be back again live monday but it makes sense to me i mean uh, i i understand the nfl not wanting to just accept a six game suspension with everything that has happened i honestly think even the idea of them appealing and trying to do something more substantial is a win for the NFL as an organization because there has been, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've listened to a lot of people talk about, you know, I listened to NFL radio yesterday in the morning. I watched PTI. I watched sports center. I read a few pieces. Everyone has been very critical, including some owners who probably uh, should have kept their mouth shut, have been very critical of the process and the total discipline that has been doled out. So I think the NFL, it's basically a no-lose position for them to say as an organization, we're not happy with this result and we're going to appeal and challenge. And even if they lose and ultimately only get six games, 
whether it's genuine or not, and I think it is genuine, and I think Roger Goodell is actually going to be the one himself to take on doing the suspension because that's the only thing that actually makes sense if he foists it off onto a discipline officer in the NFL. I think that would be an embarrassment. But I think it's a win for them, at least in the public. I'm also, I'm going to be honest, I read a few people who made suggestions that the NFL actually wanted to show their disdain for this. They should start putting the money where the mouth is and make some big donations to some of these support groups like Rain and other places out there. I would love to see them do that in addition to appealing. I'm glad they're appealing, but they need to do something else. They're not appealing, are they? Because they still make the decision. Didn't Robinson say, isn't it? this is what you should do. They it was don't a, have to do it. I mean, she was a jointly appointed um, officer to hear this. So it, if you read all the articles, it is part of they have the right to appeal the decision and can then override the decision. But technically, yes, it's considered, I guess, an appeal. And I even read somewhere they could appoint another arbiter. But I don't, you know, at this point in time, if you're not happy, if Roger Goodell needs to stack, sack up and, and take responsibility, and it's going to be then him that faces it in the court, and that's how it probably should be. Well, I mean, I think if we're all being honest, the problem, this should have come to a head a long time ago. Like, the fact that we're still talking about this as a season that is about to start is just ridiculous. Like, this should have well, been handled and taken care of because it's just – I mean, not that I care about the black eye on Watson, but it's all it is a black eye on the NFL as well that they're continuing to drag this on and on and on. Yeah, because didn't it feels like he went and made his case to the NFL first, like in April or May. And it's yeah. been surprising that they that it took till August 1st to get a judge's ruling since they wrapped up pre-4th of July and they turned in their final supporting briefs July 11th. This has the potential to really mar the opening of the actual NFL season, which is kind of a shame for all the teams involved. Yeah, it was way before July 4th that they had all this stuff because I kept saying I thought we were going to get a, a announcement on July 4th yeah. because it was going into that holiday weekend so they could kind of bury it, and then we get it a month later almost. Yeah. Well... I guess we will see where we are on Monday. We will be back live as we continue our uh, preview tour. We only have two divisions left. They are all out in the East. We will begin with the AFC East, looking at the Bills and the Patriots live on Monday. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Prepare for glory! Come on up, you got your pop on there. Who can make a play? I can! Who can make a play? I can!